Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode... Just put a half face on. I've no got eyeshadow and lipstick, but I've got the the base. they <laughs> like all dolled up, and I can't even see you. <laughs> I've just hit record just to make sure that it is working. It looks like it awesome. is, and it's all good. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is so funny to be doing this. I know. Like you're like a bra brave OG member because you were on the original blog. I know, and I actually went and had a look at it the other day because I thought, oh, I better like remember what I said no <laughs> I told any lies <laughs> and I was reading over it and I, I couldn't believe how long ago it was because no. to me it doesn't seem like that long ago when we did that it was 2007 it was before I did business I've done three fringe shows and written a fourth since <laughs> which I'm not going to get to do now but never mind <laughs> so we already had written something but I, I didn't I hadn't written it all or anything but I had an idea I will do it I'll do it um because I had some preview stuff going on in Glasgow uh, was supposed to be at the Glasgow Comedy Festival and I was going to do a kind of little preview type thing um which wasn't going to be the show it was actually called something different um because the show was going to be called Hedgehog um so funny I've just been editing a podcast with loads of hedgehogs in them because I was talking to a conservationist uh, whose job is like to like basically find out how many hedgehogs are in Scotland. Oh really? I imagine maybe speak to them. There's a thing called like hog watch and you can like put in like if you've seen a hedgehog in your local area you can put like information into the internet so they know where they are. So oh. I just feel like there's all these hedgehog references now and I'm like what is going on? With you know it's it is so strange because since I decided to call the show that and I was kind of working off this premise of the hedgehog, I've seen and heard loads. I don't know if it's just because you're more aware of it. Yeah, yeah. And um, I ended up watching a whole programme about hedgehogs. Um, it was on, <laughs> on television. And then somebody else was on a podcast talking about hedgehogs. It, they weren't talking about hedgehogs, but the hedgehogs mm. came into it. And uh, and then somebody had said this when I was trying to decide what to call the show because I had uh, this I had had an idea for a Glasgow show, um, which wasn't something I was going to do at the fringe, but was something that I wanted to work on for the for twenty twenty, which is obviously not going to happen now. But um, I'd had this idea to do a show called Unplugged. Jay Lafferty Unplugged and it was going to be about because all the kind of seminal albums of my youth um, and your youth because we're ages <laughs> where you know they're going to be either 20 years or uh, 15 years 20 years or 25 years um, so like Alanis Morissette Jagged Little Pill it, What's the Story Morning Glory um, uh, Nirvana's Nevermind was uh, 25 years last year I think it was um, and yes there was all these things so I was going to do this show basically um, surrounded like uh, five of my so- favourite songs from five seminal albums and tell a story about each one I was thinking about possibly doing it at the Fringe but I also had another idea that I wanted to do for the Fringe which was kind of about your brain right and the things that your brain can do to you like good and bad and kind of loosely based around my experiences over the last year kind of a bit of a step away from what I've been doing with the last three Fringe shows but still in the same genre type thing and well, there's a couple of reasons why I was going to call it Hedgehog. One is a, a 
my birth story where there's a hedgehog reference <laughs> and the other somebody said to me um if you see a hedgehog during the day it's having a bad time right so if you see a hedgehog during the day it's having a bad time you shouldn't see hedgehogs in daylight um and i just i really uh I found an affinity with that because if you see me during the day, I'm usually having a That's so funny because we had a hedgehog like growing up that used to come every summer. Horace, we called him. And one day my mum went out like during the day and Horace was on the patio on his back. And mum was like, oh no, like Horace is pandied. And it, it wasn't, it was just somebody who was proper snoring. Oh gosh. And then she went over to him to be like, oh no, are you going to like, at least an Emma, like you know, Horace is no more, and he was like out for the count, like loving life, basking in the sun. So that's the one time that maybe it was never a bad thing, <laughs> or maybe he was just making the best of a bad situation. Maybe it was, uh, I just need a wee nap and everything will be fine. <laughs> but yeah, no, we have um, my comic friends really uh, slag me off because um, <laughs> I refer to us as the night people. Like, so you have day people and you have night people and the day people, they spend all day um, earning pennies to pay the night people. Yes, that's so true. (laughs) Uh, And I'm a night person. So, uh, although I'm, I'm, it's obviously had to change a little bit. (laughs) So, yeah. And, you know, six minutes in, this is how, how much of a, you know, professional podcast host that I am. I haven't actually said that I'm talking to the amazing Jay Lafferty. Um, but <laughs> I know I'm like, when will you get into this host of malarkey? Oh, I think you're great. I, I, I mean, it's so nice to catch up with this. I mean, it's totally random, in it? Like, initially, when I started the podcast, you know, people were saying, can we do it via Skype? And I was like, no, I'm much more of a in real life kind of gal. I don't want to talk to you over the internet. But obviously, we've had to adapt. Yeah, needs must. Yes, and this is better than not doing it, obviously. Yes. But it's, it's not just like, this is, this is lovely to catch up as pals, and I'm sure we'll be doing that over the next however many weeks that we're going to be in this lockdown malarkey. Um, oh, it is also a great opportunity to steal some time with the talented people that I know, like yourself, for the Bra and the Brave. And as I was saying, like you were on the blog, so it's this, if people don't know, this started life as a blog until I realised that I just agonise over every sentence that I write and it was taking me months upon months to get any sort of blog post out. But I was just reading the blog and I was thinking, again, what a great writer you are, you know, and you were able to take my ramblings and make them sound coherent, um, whereas now everybody will just know that I'm a rambler. Your, what you call rambling makes you a living girl, so your rambling uh, uh, <laughs> they're doing great things. <laughs> And I was reading back the blog, and uh, I remember you telling, I still don't believe this, but I, I know you're not a fibber, that you were called a challenging young person. Yes. I mean, you're the least challenging person. Like, you know, if you're thinking about challenging being a negative, like negative connotations, you're the least challenging person. But I, I, so I still don't understand that. But you've definitely <laughs> challenged uh, that, that, uh, label is such yeah I don't know if it well in the 80s and 90s if it was referred to as challenging I think they probably had more choice slightly ruder words to describe me (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I think I was I just didn't get on very well at school school just didn't suit me and I still um I think it's a it's a point of frustration really for me I think things are, are a lot better now but I was just chatting to somebody um 
recently about obviously the lockdown and the schools um obviously being off and maybe not going back till September and uh, the person I was talking to was a teacher and they were uh, saying oh you know one of the things that might happen is it might make everybody repeat the year because of exams and things like that and I was was just talking about how crazy that was because I have a real issue that you know we have this Victorian schooling system where we we educate by age rather than abilities and you know uh, you get young people who are you know excel in one thing and maybe don't excel in another thing and really it should be around ability rather than than age I think Uh, yeah so I think I really struggled with with school for a number of reasons Uh, one that I just wasn't particularly interested academically um, as a child Um, I was much more into art and drama and reading and you know just kind of imaginary play and make-believe and I had an amazing imagination and I was a really good problem solver I could really problem solve things in life Mm. I would get the right answer but I would have come at it a completely different way to the way you were supposed to come at it and I just didn't really get my head around the fact that well if you have the right answer you have the right answer yeah, exactly. Everybody can arrive at things differently and in, in different ways. And uh, yeah, so I think I was challenging in that manner that I just didn't toe the line, as it were. Challenging the system, and I love that. Yeah, I did. I tried to smash <laughs> it. Just work for me. <laughs> and I wondered, that, like, do you feel like that that ability to problem solve? Um, you've taken that into like your career now, because I imagine like being in the world of you know stand up comedy and comparing stand-up and then you know writing producing shows and everything that you're doing there must be so much uncertainty and so much change and hurdles that you know challenges that come up for various reasons that you then need to like navigate yeah I think uh, you have to be quite solution based and I think I've always kind of been like that just very much um I just see a problem as as a challenge, as a new way of doing something. Um, and I get quite bored when things are going well. <laughs> Not that that happens very often, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, when things are, you know, when something becomes a kind of status quo, I always feel the need to kind of mix it up a little bit and, yeah, try something new and something different or come at, come at the same thing in a, in a, in a different way. Um, and mix it up a little bit and I think with stand-up you have to do that because like everything else I mean stand-up does have there is like a rhythm to stand-up there is a way of doing it there is a formula to it if you know what I mean Um, and you can very much just go with the formula and that will uh, nine times out of ten get get you out of you know the problem that you maybe <laughs> find yourself in but I like to free fall uh, which is why I love comparing so much because you've no idea what people are going to say when you talk to them yeah well that's the thing like I was thinking about that like comparing and obviously having x amount of material in your armory to go I, I need to be funny as well as I need to be engaging and I need to say all the right things and be informative but then like it's a whole other skill set than you know doing your set I would imagine because you need to be able to pull stuff out of your back pocket. Yeah, I mean, that's it. When you write a set, you can pretty much do the same set, um, you know, every night, the same 15, 20, 25 minutes, whatever it might be, um, and hit it, you know, the same for every audience. Whereas when you're comparing, obviously, you have to just go with the flow um, and, 
sometimes there's things like that you can work in uh, so you might end up doing a little bit of material um because you might something you might hit upon something that you've got material on which is great but I find it most exciting when I've realized I've been on the stage for 15 or 20 minutes and not done a single bit of written material um, and made people laugh Hmm. it's just all been off the cuff Uh, and people are interested I mean that's something I think that you and I share is a love of getting to know people and chatting to people and but I mean having seen you do your thing like in both capacities like doing your your own show and then see you comprehend like I was just in total of you because you are in command of that space and you know obviously in a comedy club situation people had a drink they want to have a good time some people are maybe not wanting to have a good time they want to stiff things and yes. just like I was in total of you like you just be able to like handle a live audience and the fact that some people feel that they can just shout out and I guess maybe that's great for you you maybe want that interaction but then sometimes you're like um okay could you not shout out because (laughs) you know I'm sitting there thinking oh my god like I could not do that that's a whole other skill to just I'm going to put in you know vertical is just being you know a stand-up which is obviously a whole other skill set in itself yeah I, I I mean it's one of those things that I've learned I was always really interested from the minute I started doing stand-up I wanted to host um and I think sometimes quite a lot of people say oh you get comics who like to do sets and you get comics who like to host and then you get uh the ones who can do both and I was really lucky that I was interested in doing both and that also had the opportunity to do both mm. um, and so when I started it I started out in a collective called Don Quixote Appreciation Society it wasn't my name I didn't name it <laughs> <laughs> and there was five of us and I would say that um, of the five of us uh, three were uh, stand-up comics set comics and two of us really wanted to host and so initially I got lots of opportunities because there was only two of us we just would take it turn about um, so I had lots another one was uh, another fabulous uh, comic called Billy Kirkwood um, who is now a radio DJ as well uh, and, uh, and he does wrestling commentary and all sorts of stuff and him and I we hosted nearly all of the all of the shows that we did over the two and a half odd years that that we were a kind of um, group together we trip and that was great and then the other comics one of them being mark nelson who is an amazing stand-up comedian but then he moved into hosting a bit later and he's now actually hosting um all of the the stand comedies lockdown shows um which have been streaming live on saturday nights to try and keep the clubs open during the lockdown and he's doing amazing with that because to compare to nobody and make it seem as effortless as he is is pretty pretty amazing i'm in awe of my pal i think he's i think he's doing a cracking job with that well that's the thing it's just being able to you know work in the you know in the arts in general just that being able to adapt and be a bit of a chameleon to the situation and obviously nobody could have predicted or maybe they could i don't know the situation that we're in but you know keeping your art form keeping your passion alive in some way shape or form is just like there's a need to do it i think and that hence why i'm doing the podcast remotely it's not something i wanted to do prior to this but it's just like well you need to just be able to adapt and and i think for like even like you were saying like your journey into like it's reminiscent of school like just not one size fits all like and it doesn't necessarily need to be a certain pathway that you take like or 
maybe you thought you wanted to just host and then you ended up doing your own shows or you know vice versa because mm-hmm. um, I, I, I know that your mum wanted you to do a reflexology course and you ended up doing the stand-up <laughs> comedy course and that's how you ended up here and that just like that makes me laugh because I'm like I love how your mum was like you should do a reflexology and you're like yep I'm going to do comedy yeah. she's still she's still never forgive me for that she wanted her she wanted her feet rubbed and I was like I'm going to make people laugh more <laughs> it's just that pathway and it you know it's like there's not one way to do something and it's just that ability to you know just adapt to whatever scenario you're in and that you know it's obviously served you very well in your career thus far uh yeah i i mean i think that's it i I was chatting to um another good uh comedian pal jojo sutherland yesterday and um we were just talking about so quite a lot of comedians already since this lockdown um, has happened have adapted and started to do things online now I am two reasons one I have got a, a newborn baby so having the time to to do what it requires to to host or or do a daily show online I just don't have the the time for it at the moment um but also it's just not really in it's not my wheelhouse you know it's I I've yeah I've always kind of shied away from even having any of my sets online and things like that I've always been quite in the live experience rather than in the recorded and uh, you know I've never wanted to chase after the whole viral thing I mean I have had little bits and pieces uh, that have done really well online um, particularly I did a thing about Brexit last year um on breaking the news television show which went viral they'd cut it all up and um and and they promoted it and it ended up in front of the new york times and all sorts of weird things (laughs) off the back of that which was crazy but personally i've never done the online thing and uh, i was chatting to jojo about you know i don't want to get left behind but i also don't want to force myself to do something that isn't really it makes me comfortable so I've done little bits and pieces I've 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 done some um I'm doing Susan Kalman's show uh, uh and I've done some I did a a, rec- a live recording for the stand and I did one for the Gilded Balloon as well just doing some jokes and they've all gone out as part of a compilation and that feels fine for me uh, to be part of a compilation like I would be part of a of a stage show on a Friday or Saturday night anyway that seems like normal even though it's online um but you know, I have friends who have now set up Twitch accounts and they're streaming stuff every day. And uh, and some of them are absolutely brilliant. My friend Liam Withnail, who's a brilliant comic and a great compare as well, he has a show on every uh, morning at 11 o'clock uh, where it's the daily crossword with Liam and he does the Guardian crossword. <laughs> <laughs> and it's brilliant, right? I love it. I've done it every day uh, during lockdown. Uh, and yeah that's been great fun and he's he's really put his all into it and uh, he's ordered stuff to make it look fantastic online and that's great Um, I totally respect what you're saying though and I I feel exactly the same you know in terms of dance and I think it is just about going with your gut and going with what feels right for you and it's difficult because as a self-employed person you're like, you know, I don't want to get left behind. I don't want to be forgotten. Like, I'm not earning just now. So yeah. do I just need to jump on that bandwagon? And But, yeah, I think, it, you know, stop and think what's right for me is important. And I guess that's something that you've channeled the whole, throughout your career thus far, that you're doing the gigs that you want to do. You're writing the stuff that you want to write that feels 
good for you and it's all come good so far so why change now yeah exactly exactly that but as I was saying to Jojo was um her and I we have diversified throughout our careers we've we've tried new things we've tried new challenges and you know there's this whole uh, you know diversify or die type <laughs> attitude at the moment <laughs> and I said yeah I can understand but I can understand everybody kind of going right okay we need to get online we need to get online but everybody is on a break at the moment is the way I feel about it and everybody will restart at different times as well so I think we're going to come out of this I don't know obviously for sure but at the moment I'm looking at this and when we come out of lockdown I can't see clubs and pubs opening up straight away you know I think it'll be I think there'll be a kind of staging to the lockdown and I think everything will will come at a different pace and so there's time to kind of see where where we end up yeah, yeah. and we can diversify at all different points and then there'll, there'll be opportunities um so you just have to wait for the one that suits you yeah so obviously I've been very lucky to be privy to so much of your work and just until all of you but your fringe shows can you go into the creative process that goes into creating a show for like you know the Edinburgh Fringe um so I have been doing stand-up for um I think this is 17 years now yeah I think this must this must be my 17th year yeah (laughs) and um bizarrely though although I've been a stand-up for that long I always did other things it was never my main source of income I only went as a full-time stand-up five years ago um because up until then I had been at the fringe and I had done loads of things at the fringe but I had never done an hour-long uh full run of shows so I had done an hour show over a few days and I had done compilation shows and I'd done half hours and things like that but um I finally ran out of excuses really <laughs> not to take a full fringe run um to Edinburgh. I can see I live here as well. That <laughs> I had no excuses left. So I was really lucky that um uh, Katie Corrin and um the lovely Lindsay who was at Guild's Balloon at that time really saw something in me um that they wanted to partner up with me and support me uh to bring my first friend show um which I did in 2017 I brought a show called Bism and then the following year I followed that up again with the Gilded Balloon support with a show called Wished and last year I finished uh what was a trilogy with a show called Jammy so Bism's uh Wished and Jammy all Scottish words (laughs) (laughs) very on brand (laughs) They were all Scottish words, all very brawn and brave, and um, they were basically about a journey that I had found myself on. Very loosely, they were all attached to the journey that I'd been on over the last 10 years, which was a journey um, which was about my fertility. Uh, yeah, I didn't really want to do a show about fertility. <laughs> I was never like in my oh that'll be a, a great laugh <laughs> a bit fertility uh, and my lack of it <laughs> uh, but what what they were is they were standalone shows that um on their own had a lot of humor and uh, went off in tangents and talked about all different things from uh, going to the science center with all my family when I was uh, eight years old through to hipsters uh, so, so business kind of looked more at family and family life and we should looked at uh my past and growing up and the things that had shaped me to be who I was uh, and that 
that looked at um, all sorts of um, elements of being a teenager, becoming an adult and the trials and tribulations of that and uh, also not knowing when to shut up, which is a problem that I had <laughs> or have had, had as, a, as a past tense. Uh, what, what, what always gets me is like, obviously I know you and it, you know, we've not known each other our whole life. So some of the stories I wouldn't have been privy to and, you know, I'm sitting there going, is this a true story? <laughs> and that's what always you know because I, I know you like you know going yeah. to see someone show that you don't know you're just like well I don't know if that's a true story I know but I'm laughing anyway do you know what I mean like I'm laughing at the story uh-huh. but then knowing you it, it, I started to think like being that vulnerable and telling stories that are true or, you know not obviously mm-hmm. there'll be a certain amount of embellishment I would imagine or maybe not maybe that's just how things go down and have a very uninteresting life compared to other people but that I find it like fascinating you're able to be that honest and vulnerable with like a room full of strangers like is it quite a juggle to know what to open up about and what not you know what to keep private especially when you're talking about fertility and you know and things that are very very you know personal yeah I mean it is and um there are other comedians who share a lot more of themselves than I do, who are much uh, braver and, or, or, or far more raw than I would ever dare to be on stage. Um, and then there's people who I know make up every single thing that they say. They don't give anything true about themselves on stage. They keep their private lives incredibly private. And I kind of sit in the middle of that in that I am very honest I would say 90% of what I see on stage is true. Um, And then there's a little 10% that sometimes I will borrow from experiences that have happened to other people um, or, you know, stories that I've heard um, that I've, you know, that I can kind of, I I found funny and then I find a way to link them into something that I'm talking about. But I would say 90% of what I say, and I actually, I genuinely make a point on stage of saying, if I say this is true, then that is true you know it's you know it's word for word i mean i think i think it's amazing what you, you're able to do being honest but also being funny at the same time you know well, i think i think what happened was with um when i did my first fringe show i had done a few hour shows before that at the glasgow comedy festival and at the fringe as one-off things um and they were they were kind of based around um my sets um, that I do in the clubs, uh, you know, throughout the year, uh, and Bisms was the first time that I'd actually tried to tell a story within an hour rather than just be funny about various different subjects. Uh, but I think Bisms was a good. It, it let me put my toe in the water because what I did was I was able to take material that I knew really worked um, and weave it into that I'd done on stage over the years, and then weave it into. Um, an overarching story about family and then what I'd kind of done with Bisms was I told all these funny stories and then the last kind of 15-20 minutes I I tied them all up with this uh, revelation that I had been on a journey through IVF and had been successful Um, so in 2017 I think I had done one round of XAIVF um, and up until that point, I had done everything else that you have to do in order to be accepted into an IVF program, which is, you know, I'd done two years of trying normally. Then we had done a couple of years of tests and pills and diets 
<laughs> and healthy lifestyles and cutting things out and adding things in and and then we'd finally arrived at um at the IVF journey with a, quite a few bumps along the way and I kind of told this in the last I would say uh, 15 2015 20 minutes 15 minutes and I kind of put a bow on the top of what I had been talking about in regards to family and everybody really seemed to love it and it got really good reviews um I I was blown away um by the by the reviews and then it sort of started to sell out I mean it was only in a tiny little 50 seater because my first time um doing the fringe and uh yeah and it, it just kind of went somewhere and so that made me feel braver I then took it on tour and the thing that everybody spoke to me about afterwards when they came up was the IVF story that was the thing that people wanted to talk to me about so lots of people were coming up and saying that uh, they had had the same experience or they were through that experience and they'd either worked or it hadn't worked and it really made me feel because I had kept all that very private from everybody else you know it was weird because I was talking about it on stage and for a lot of family and friends that was the first time that they had heard any of this they just I think assumed that I didn't want kids it wasn't something I talked about before so suddenly I felt like I was part of something and then that kind of um, spurred me on to be a little bit more open a little bit more honest with Wished um, which again the best thing about Wished which I, I did in 2018 um, and then took on tour in 2018 into 19 and again the thing that came out of that um was a lot of people coming up to me and and telling me they'd had similar experiences it was much much rawer than what I had done with business and then last year I did a show uh called Jammy um which was all about luck and in Weesh again talked about fertility and we had done another couple of rounds at that point and I and I touched on that in Weeshed, not as much as I had in Bisms, but again, it was part of the overarching story. And then after the end of the Fringe in 2018, my husband and I had gone on holiday to Venice and we'd had this big discussion about the IVF journey that we'd been on. And by that point, we'd gone through um, three rounds of XIVF and we'd had a loss and we were just bit battered and bruised by the previous few years um, because of various reasons and we decided that we weren't uh, going to do it anymore we decided that we weren't going to to continue this fertility journey uh we were going to do something else we were just gonna children weren't going to be in our future basically was the was the decision that we made um and we came back from venice we knew we had one last round that had already been funded and we we're like right we're going to do this last round because it's funded but neither one of us expected anything to happen with it and so it was just the last kind of throw of the dice just to just to basically go right it's done and it's dusted we've done everything that we can do let's move on uh, and when I started to write Jammy, which was a show about luck, it was going to be a show about when your luck runs out. You know, when when do you decide enough is enough? And that was what the show initially was going to be about. And then, of course, <laughs> fate stepped in and it worked. The the last round of IVF that we did worked. And how nice is that that your life work, you know, and your shows, you know, they're like a storybook of what was happening in real life. You know, I, I, I think that's such a lovely connection to be able to look back at all these achievements you've made professionally, but also then, you know, the greatest gift, which is, yeah. you know, and you're like, so I wrote a show <laughs> and then you and I, you and I had to rewrite the whole thing. 
what a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, I, I obviously knew that, but yeah. like, um, like you're telling me that again, I'm just that is bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. And it, it was, it was a strange thing because I did have people, I mean, I have people who have followed my career and have come to everything that I've done, which I'm really grateful for. And I think they they found Jamie last year incredibly emotional, you know, and there's people who had come to Bisms and then hadn't come to Weesh because there's some people who only do the Fringe every two years because it's, it's really expensive. Um, there was a couple from Canada who'd come to see me in Bisms and then came to see me do um, Jamie. So they had been three years, basically. And so they walked in and the woman burst into tears because I was obviously very pregnant. <laughs> oh, that, how cool is that? Well, that's the thing, that connection that you make with people on stage, like you're saying that the fact that they are willing to come up to you at the end and open up themselves to you and say, you know, I'm going through this or I've been through this, or you can't take that lightly. And I know you don't, but people do make a connection with you. You, you're up there doing your thing but when you are being honest and you're being vulnerable and you're opening up your life to a certain extent and also like entertaining people at the same time you know that it's just such a lovely thing for them to be invested in your story to that point where you know it makes somebody cry when they they see that yeah. you know you got your your wish <laughs> after everything that you were you've been through and yeah no it was lovely and um, you know I always that's the thing that I that I love about what I do is it's really nice um, when either people come up to you or sometimes you'll get a, a little message through uh, social media, through my emails, whatever, to say, you know, that somebody's really enjoyed the show or, or and identified with it. Or, you know, even just sometimes you get a message from somebody saying they've had such a rubbish day and then they came out, um, they weren't going to come to the comedy show, but their friends convinced them to go and, you know, and they, they now feel and they yeah. really glad that they came and so that's a lovely thing it's about... a powerful thing like to be able to make somebody laugh and just to take them into a different headspace you know and I, I like I mean what I was going to say earlier actually when we're talking about the comparing is um I think a lot of people are scared um you know of compares because you know, there's this thing that you know, you'll get torn apart if you're in the front row and things like that um, and I try, I am, I can be quite um, cheeky, I think is probably the word. <laughs> uh, with people in the front row, if I know that they're up for it and I can see that they're playing along with it and they're having a good yeah, time, yeah. you know, quite often you get people who sit in the front row because they want to have um, a bit of authority, which is great. But I kind of have always and do try as much as possible to work off like being kind to be kind because you just don't know what that person what it's taking for that person to come out and, and to sit in the um the audience and be part of that um I try and make sure that nine times out of ten look at that I'll be the that I am the punchline you know um and that's not to say that I haven't said things on stage that I regret or that I've pushed it too far people because you know sometimes you just you don't get it right you don't you make a mistake and you hit it wrong um, yeah I, I like to, I like to think that you know most of the time anybody who I'm particularly cheeky with they, they're up for it they... <laughs> all over that I've yeah absolutely <laughs> And like tele work and like radio and stuff, is that something that you envisaged kind of branching into or is that just a 
you know, it's just kind of happened organically? I think very much it's happened organically. Um, I've never been like somebody who's gone, oh, I want to be a TV comic or even be a radio comic. I've had goals. Sometimes I, I, I think to myself, you know, I, I would really like to. So with Bisms, I really wanted it to have a life beyond what it was at the fringe and so I ended up took it on tour but then I also developed um, a show which ran for about a year and a half which gave platform to other female comics and people of um, LGBTQ and, and people from minority backgrounds was the idea um, behind Bisms and I did that with it for, for a while and then with wished I I wanted to do a, a slightly larger tour um and kind of spread my wings a little bit more which which I did and then with Jammy the idea behind Jammy was uh, so I couldn't do it for a number of reasons one I was about to have a baby two it very much revolved around me being pregnant and so I couldn't really perform it not pregnant I, so the thing about Jammy which was different from other shows was that I had done um Bisms and Wished and they were all about me and I was just a little bit sick. Lisa, I talked about myself, so as if you can imagine. <laughs> it means I don't need to talk about myself. <laughs> uh, I, I was, yeah, I just, I thought to myself, how good would it be to do a friend show which just wasn't all about me and what mm. I think? And so basically what I'd done is I'd put out this questionnaire and I was asking people all these questions about luck and how they felt about luck and what was the luckiest thing that's ever happened to them and believe in luck and the lottery on and all these sorts of things and I uh, I was really surprised because I put this questionnaire out into the ether probably about this time last year and I got within like I think less than 24 hours I had over 300 responses back from these 10 questions and so what I ended up doing was I developed a fringe show around these questions and I was really lucky that uh, because of my work with Breaking the News and uh, a couple of other things I'd done is some people um, from BBC Radio Scotland, some important people came and saw it and they decided they wanted to make a, a radio show of it. And so I have spent the last few months putting that together, which was supposed to go out at the end of this month, but obviously with the lockdown and everything, it's a bit on hold. And in fact, I don't know what's going to happen with it after the lockdown because it's got a lot of interviews with people and um, obviously it's all about luck. So I don't know if we maybe need to add something into it about what's been happening. But anyway, um, at the moment it's in post-production with BBC Scotland and I was really lucky that I got to work with two amazing women um, at BBC Radio Scotland, uh, one of whom I've worked with before, Anna, and another lovely lady, Lindsay, um, and we've been working to bring Jamie to the the radio listeners, so yeah, maybe yeah. So, I mean, that show was so unique, I, I was so impressed. Oh, thank you. With just that, you could tell how much work had went into it. And it, uh, it was just so engaging. I loved it. I, I really did. Because it did have that personal element, obviously, your story. But it was much more than that. And everything that you'd, all the you know the stories that you'd collated to make that happen, it was totally unique. I loved it. Are there particular people that influence you in terms of like your work? Um, in terms of um, watching a lot of comedy, because I'm a, a host, because I compare, I'm really lucky that I get to see loads of different people do stand up and everybody approaches it in a different way and uh, so there's a kind of core group of comics that I work with on a regular basis because the Scottish circuit is it is big but it's not 
huge and mm-hmm. um, so there's people that I work with quite often and then other people that I, I get to work with from uh, all over the world to come to the fringe that I get to see at least once a year and then there's now and again people who I've maybe only worked with once or twice and so I get I'm really lucky that I get to see so much stand-up I generally don't watch a lot of stand-up on tv or netflix or, or things like that um just because it's a feel it's a bit of a busman's holiday <laughs> and also i don't want to get too influenced um because I, I i think sometimes you can pick up things without realizing that you've picked them up as well so i like to be kind of i have my own ideas about things but then there are people who uh joe likes it um i really love what he does and i'm watching his new show that's just started last week because he uses his comedy for the powers of good in a very funny way yeah (laughs) Um, and so i think when i when it came to using the questionnaire and stuff like that i probably got some inspiration from somebody like joe lyson who um who, who uses other people's experiences in his comedy as well as his own experiences so i think that uh, i was probably influenced a little bit by um comedians like joe um and i'm inspired by lots of the people that i work with lots of people who are around about me comedians and uh and performers that i have conversations with jojo sutherland uh last year did a really personal show um which was which I went to see at the Fringe, um, and I found that really inspirational. Vladimir McTavish does a show every single year and has done for twenty five years, which I just find inspiring. Jesus, <laughs> exactly. I know to be able to to do that, I find that incredibly inspiring. Liam Withneal, who I spoke about earlier, who does the crosswords, we always do our previews together, and I always love watching Liam's process. So I love to see Liam's show how it starts and just where it ends up um, and just how different things can be and bits that get bits that develop and bits that he just leaves behind uh, so I find working with Liam really inspiring as well uh, and then obviously my husband's a, a playwright um, and performer uh, and I couldn't do any of the things that I do without him by my side and in my head <laughs> <laughs> love that and I know like obviously I'm privy to more information on you than other people being a being a pal but you know I know that like you mentioned earlier on like the career wasn't always stand up uh yeah so I initially I did a degree uh, a drama qualification and then I did a community arts qualification at Strathclyde Uni and I specialized in working with people who were non-communicative so I used the arts as a kind of tool for change um, and communication. Uh, so people with autism who were non-verbal. Um, and that's, so that's what I did. That's kind of what I specialised in and what, or where my interests kind of lay. And I did drama, dance, uh, music and art. And then when I graduated from that, I went to work for Scottish Society for Autism, which is now Scottish Autism. And I worked there as a key worker and developed lots of programmes which were around the arts um, and loved it. Uh, it was incredibly rewarding job, but also very stressful. And that's kind of where I started to because I wasn't performing I'd always been a performer um and then I had a real job and it was 95 well actually it was like an eight to six and it was quite stressful and so I ended up 
going into stand-up because I couldn't do theatre, which is what I had previously done before I'd done a lot of theatre. And I couldn't really do theatre anymore because I couldn't make rehearsal times and I couldn't make the commitment that was needed to do, because at that point I was was kind of semi-professional theatre maker. But because I had a a full-time job, I couldn't really do it anymore. And so stand-up, because if I didn't make something, then I was only letting myself down, you know. Oh, was well, this and I obviously there was a real need to be a creative, yeah. you know. I guess stand up marries quite well with working in the evening, yeah. You do it on your own timetable, and as much as I worked with a comedy troupe and we did sketches and things, we all had full time jobs at that point. Um, and so we could all we all worked around each other's schedules, which was great. Um, I admire like, like that juggling act, um, you know, it's nice to be able to focus on one thing, you know, and really put all your energy into it, but I don't think it's detrimental to have had all these different experiences and work with all walks of life and put yourself in situations where you're having to problem solve but in a very different way because of where you are and who you're with so like if you're then writing material you've had lots of experiences yeah and I think that I mean that I did I probably should have become a full-time stand-up a lot sooner than I did in the end but I don't regret any of it because I went from Scottish Society for Autism and then I went and worked with um, children, primary school age children from um, challenging backgrounds and then I went to work for a company called Impact Arts and I was their head of delivery there and we worked with everybody from zero to 110. And I think exactly as you said there because by that point I had been in full-time work um, for a decade and I had done, uh, you know, I'd specialised in autism initially and then I had... Um, as I say, worked with young children and then I had gone on to work in various different communities and, I, and I'd worked my way up and I had become, you know, kind of head of, a, a, of an organisation or a, one of the heads of an organisation and I had very much honed my diplomatic skills as well and my yeah, political man. skills and my patience. <laughs> I'd worked with a lot of boards by then, so um, I'd learned how to be patient. Uh, and I'd also done things like I had experience applying for funding and uh, knew kind of that whole lingo of what mm. funders are looking for and, and all of that jazz. So when I became a full-time stand-up, um, I was really lucky because people came to me and asked me to do different things. So I ended up doing stand-up in prisons. Um, I've taught stand-up to um, uh, young people in Polmont Young Offenders. I have taught stand-up uh, to children, to adults, to people with dementia. I've done plays and um, musicals and comedy things. And yeah, and I do still keep my hands in. I still teach mindfulness, um, which was something that I'd uh, developed during my time at Impact Arts and interest in with a neuroscientist and psychologist called Stan Goddick. And yeah, so I still do a lot of work for Stan. So I still get to keep my hands in uh, working with young people, which I... Yeah, that's lovely. It just keeps sparking their imagination, all that stuff, like just being able to have access to different walks of life and different experiences and you can just put all that back into the pot, I guess. So I know it's difficult at this moment in time where we're all just in our houses waiting to see when we're allowed out, but what is next? I mean, I know we obviously touched on at the beginning that you plans for your friend show this year and uh, obviously the radio show is now in production and hopefully we'll get to hear that very soon but do you have a list of like I would like to do that so I'm very lucky at the moment that my bucket list of things is 
pretty ticked at the moment <laughs> you know that's not to say like I'm fulfilled but you know one of the things that I hadn't done in a long time was act um and just over the last couple of years I've had a bit of an opportunity to to try my hand mm. at that again um some successfully some not so much successfully uh which has been good as well because I think it's always good to fail at things as well as success. <laughs> I can't imagine you failing oh no uh, yeah <laughs> so I hadn't uh I hadn't acted in a while and it showed <laughs> so uh so yeah no I I got to do a bit of acting last year um and uh, I'm doing the radio show, uh, Breaking the News. Um, I've just done two of those in lockdown, which was very interesting because usually they're recorded in front of a live audience and it's always sold out. There's always like a couple of hundred people there to see it. For this season, I did one, which was normal, an audience, which was at the start of the year. And then I did one um, a few weeks ago, which was at BBC Studios without an audience, but still in the room with all the other comics, the other four comics and Des Clark, okay. um, which was weird. It was more like a podcast, but it was really a lot of fun. And then obviously now, because we're in lockdown, I did one on Thursday in the house, sitting exactly where I am now. And we were just like all, all in our houses talking to each other and trying to listen to Des's questions at the same time so that was really interesting um but yeah no I'm really lucky that I get to write some satire and stuff now and I get to um you know I work with my husband uh who's an amazing satirical writer and um he and I write together for a lot of things which is lovely so get to work with him and yeah I've just I do you know what it is Lisa I've been really lucky that I've got to do so many things and the one thing that I've wanted to do for the last 10 years has now arrived so I'm just spending a lot of time being a mum which is amazing Uh, and I'm really lucky at the moment and I, I don't know things might change after lockdown but I've been really lucky up to this point that I could be a mum and and work and it fit my lifestyle yeah yeah of course so we'll see what happens after this i i'm excited for the radio show i hope that that um still happens in some shape or form after after all this is over i do have this show which is about the albums yes which i would like to do which might end up going into 2021 now and I have Hedgehog, which will end up being something somewhere, whether it's at the fringe. Because uh, there is an idea that if this co- if we come out of lockdown and things get a bit better over the next uh, few months, that the fringe might happen in some sort of shape or form locally with local acts rather yeah. than the big, huge arts um, extravaganza that it is. But um, if that does happen, then um, I'll be working with Gilda to, to do something with Hedgehog. So that would be nice. But otherwise... What I would really like to focus on at the moment is um, enjoying the wee man that's taken me 10 years to make. <laughs> oh my goodness, absolutely, half percent. I know he's literally, he's so wee. Have you thought about like you know, him growing up and what he might want to do? And to think like him going to school one day and you know, we're talking about like the education system and how things are and him maybe going to school and... and being that young person that wants to do something maybe outside the box or a bit like yourself like not wanting to conform like would you would you be happy for him to to go into the world of stand-up do you think Oh, we were funnily enough just talking about that this morning because <laughs> my father, my father-in-law said, "Oh, you know, do you think you might be a wee comic?" And I was like, "Oh God, I hope not." <laughs> 
do you know what as long as he's happy that's all that matters um no yeah his dad wants him to become a musician uh because well his dad is a musician but i don't know what he'll do but he's surrounded by massively creative people every single day you know all of uh, his aunties and uncles mm-hmm. uh both uh, real aunts and uncles and uh, and his uh, comedy family are obviously all in the arts and creative although he might end up being a safi and going <laughs> totally the other way get the abfab reference for people of a certain age uh, he might shun all creativity and become an accountant god I hope not <laughs> you're so actually so either way I know gosh uh, so I don't know as long as he's happy that's that's all that I'm bothered about and at the moment he's quite a happy little chappy um, and I, I just want I just want him to be whatever he does and I think I was really lucky because my parents were never um oh you must do this you must do that they were always just like whatever I wanted to do they were 100% behind it mm. um I've been really lucky like my mum and dad have never been like oh no you can't do that yeah. or don't do that um I remember when I phoned them up and said you know that I was leaving what was a really well-paid job to pursue stand-up as, as full-time yeah um they didn't blink. They were just like amazing, great. Yeah, go ahead and do it. You were only here once, and surely you know, that is what parents should want for their kids. Just like to be fulfilled, you know. And if that is something that's creative, that makes you use your brain and you use your imagination. That's it, and I think that's all you can want. I mean, I really I've been so lucky to have the parents that I had, and and have such a great blueprint to try and be best mum um that I can be and I think part of being an amazing parent is also working and and following your own dreams um and I do I think it's really good for kids to see their parents do something that makes them happy I I can't imagine coming home every day and moaning about what it is that I do so I don't think I'll ever do that I might never I might not always be a stand-up but I'll always try and do something that makes me happy and I've been really fortunate that the choices that I've had have allowed me to work with amazing people like yourself and do jobs that you know aren't always easy but are fulfilling absolutely and I mean like this is the the joy of like what we do you know the connections and the people that we end up with in our lives and and friends with and like you were saying you know the family the extended family that you've built together from your work now you know that that's going to be Otis's life and I think that's just tremendous you know just opening your minds and doors to, to other things and other opportunities and the sky is the limit whatever you want to do you can you can make it happen it may not be easy but you'll make it happen he he's he's really lucky he's gonna have such a colorful uh amount of characters in his life he'll never be bored put it that way <laughs> <laughs> I love it well listen I'm going to quickly just give you a few of the thingamabobs just to you know, challenge you at the end of this wonderful chat. Oh so, thinking about being jammy, do you have a lucky number and why is it lucky yes. for you? Right, okay. Seven and no idea. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why it's lucky. If I'm picking lottery numbers, it's always in there. And... I I once had a t-shirt with the number seven on it. I mean, I didn't buy it because the number seven on it, I, I just, I don't even know how I got it. I just seemed to have it. And then I had it for a very long time. Um, so I don't know if it just came from that. But yeah, no, seven. I just like the look of it. <laughs> I like the look of my seven. <laughs> um, you'll know this one because of the project we used to work on. Uh, can you finish the sentence? I have always wanted to. <sighs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I have always wanted to make people happy. Nailing that. <laughs> I 
thank you. Done. <laughs> Next. <laughs> if you were to write an autobiography, what would you call it? That's a great question. Um, oh, I'd probably call it Bism. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny like it's not a word that a lot of people use but my aunties used it a lot like oh yeah. so like when you used it for your show I was like I feel like that's man to many talking to me <laughs> not everybody would use like there's Scottish words that everybody would use like we or blether or banter or whatever but bism seems more like a kind of certain generation of people would say bism. yeah I think so for sure oh, I love that yeah yeah, you should call it that. <laughs> and what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Oh, um, my favourite Scottish word or phrase. Um, some of my middle show was called Weesht and I like Hodger Weesht because I just think that is such a great phrase. Or away and bile your heat. I like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> that one has come up a few times actually. People do like that. I think we're just very good at telling folk to beat it. Yeah. I just think it's such a good, like, I'll wait and bile your heat, just get my face. The other Scottish phrase, I don't know if it's Scottish so much as, like, just a, an old granny phrase, but uh, I do still like, what's for you, no goodbye. Yes, that is probably something that I see on a regular basis. <laughs> but listen, thank you so much for doing this. You're an absolute star. For you to um, have started as a Brave blog member, your lovely lovely voice on my podcast forevermore thank you so much no i feel very blessed i feel like alumni like i'm 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 an alumni of the bra bag you're now you're now officially a bra bag amazing i love being a bra bag lockdown you'll be getting your badge because i'm planning and getting some badges some merch done but only only for like alumni obviously only for people that you know have been on the podcast i love a bit of merch i do a show called um the bright club um, which is a show that is at the uh, the Stan Comedy Club. Uh, well, it's, it's actually, it's all over the uh, the UK, so it's um, academics, of which I am not, um, come on stage and they, they talk about their PhDs um, and their, or their research, whatever it is they're doing, and they, and they try and do it in a, in a funny way, and I get to compare these shows, which is oh, great. Cool. They have, uh, it's like a little rubber duck um, that they have uh, as their logo, and they make different badges for each one and so I've got like about 20 of these badges for all the different birthdays and Christmases and fringe runs and so I love a wee bit of merch I'm a big big it'll be winging its way to you don't you worry a wee bra bag badge will be coming coming to you watch this space (laughs) well listen thank you so much I know that lockdown has its challenges especially when you've got a wee person to keep occupied Um, (laughs) well it's been lovely talking to you and coming out of uh, the lockdown hibernation for a wee hour there totally and thanks for putting half a face on for me oh you are very welcome (laughs) i on the other hand look like i've brushed my hair with a firework lockdown is not serving me well (laughs) and um hopefully we'll reconnect irl yes rather than later but um, fingers crossed can you keep yourself safe in this current climate yes i'll just be in the spare room until they say i'm allowed out yes right missies thank you so much for going to the effort to do thank that. you i hope you enjoyed today's episode of the bra and the brave a podcast about people and their passions join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests bye for now